The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin awake. Hello, and welcome to the Practical Shaman Podcast. I'm Renee Barabow, your host, and today I'm very excited to have with me Pamela Seelig, yoga teacher and author of Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. Pamela began her yoga and meditation journey in 1991 when an illness interrupted her Wall Street career. I love that. I can't wait to talk about how it interrupted your career. <laughs> Along with helping recovery, the impact of her meditation led to a lifelong pursuit of perceiving and sharing yoga wisdom through practice, teaching, and writing. She completed her teacher training in 2006 at Integral Yoga Institute in New York. Pamela considers Swami Satchananda, the founder of Integral, as her primary teacher, root guru, but she has trained with many of the top yoga luminaries in the world today. And she lives in New Jersey with uh, as an empty nester where she does workshops, writes, and she lives with her husband, Bob, and the dog, Bodhi. So is Bodhi a, a yogini? Yes, very wise soul. <laughs> so what do dogs do like when you're doing your yoga? Just <laughs> I, Yeah, I feel like they sort of sense what's happening. They like the energy and kind of curl up at your feet or... Bodhi's a little chihuahua mix, so she'll sit next to me on the couch and writing the book. I think she was a really big help. <laughs> well, and you know, they're doing out in California, I don't know if it's gotten all the way to New Jersey yet, a lot of that uh, goat yoga. Oh, yes. You... I actually, there's a goat farm in Vermont that I was at, and they do a lot of yoga there, not with the goats, but I just think goats and humans have a nice, like, we just like, they're cute and we connect and uh, kind of raises our vibration, even without the yoga. Really? I just can't even imagine having a goat, a muddy goat stand on my back <laughs> while I'm trying to hold the, you know, a pose, which I, I struggle with holding those poses anyway. But besides for that, uh, but it seems to be really trendy. And maybe we could do something with the, the chihuahuas because they're a little more lightweight. Yes. <laughs> little yeah, a new trend. <laughs> <laughs> a new trend, Chihuahua yoga. <laughs> so Chihuahua yoga. So tell me, or tell the listeners, so you were you were heading down the Wall Street path and all of a sudden you collided with a with a life change and, and got you into yoga. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So this was a while back in the 80s and I was working on Wall Street and not living the best, healthiest lifestyle. It was that, you know, very aggressive competitive industry, very male oriented. And I wasn't thinking of my own personal sustainability. I also think deep down, I was, I knew that I was on the wrong path for me. So um, I started to have some health issues. And one day I woke up and I had Bell's palsy, which is not life threatening, but very dramatic. It's when half of your face is paralyzed. So I went to the many doctors who all said, just wait, it usually recovers, but not always. And it takes months. So I couldn't go to work. This was pre-internet. Um, I really couldn't do anything because I had one eye patched. So reading was a little difficult. So one doctor that I visited sort of took pity on me and said, "Did you have you ever tried alternative medicine, which I'd never heard of, or meditation? So I was desperate. 
So dove right in uh, to meditation. Mm-hmm. Did not start slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, things happened. You know, I had some experiences pretty quickly. I had no idea what that was. So had some time on my hands. So started researching and learned through yoga, which I thought at that point was just bendy postures. But I learned meditation is a central aspect of yoga and kind of learned what was happening, became very fascinated. And basically from that point on, you know, slowly my life turned in a different direction. So now I had a pretty good recovery. And I really think of Bell's palsy as a gift, you know, that turned me in a direction I would have never turned to. had it not been for that. So that's really what started me. And, and I love those pivotal moments because a lot of listeners out there, you know, usually when we're, we're, we're scraping by on our knees, you know, begging for some kind of salvation or change. And it sometimes it requires those kinds of illnesses and those kind of roadblocks to really get us to, to, to wake up to the, the path we're really, you know, intended to be. But also, I would imagine with that background, which would probably mean you had some, you know, good business background to be in Wall Street to begin with, then I don't find that those skills are lost. I find Mm -hmm. that those skills then help us develop, even like, like you said, you turned around and took those basic skills of working hard, working too hard, to put that all that effort into your meditation. Exactly. That type A personality. I was, I just dove right in. Not that I recommend that now to people that I teach yoga to, but um, yeah, you're right. It, it helped me be focused really. So tell us about that experience because I'm one of those people who I do wind walks, you know, I do walking meditations. I don't do, you know, that's not, I do do dikshas where I, the, the fire breath and the, the prana, you know, the prana, how do you say that? Pranayama. Pranayama breath. And I find that that's helpful. But afterwards, when people are sharing and they talk about these transcendent experiences, I never have those transcendent experiences like that. So what was that like for you to all of a sudden to, you know, have a Kundalini awakening? Well, um, I think, you know, how you say you haven't had those kinds of experiences. I think, you know, yogis, teach you really shouldn't try to have them hmm. things are happening you know underground and and so so things are shifting sometimes we can't really know but in my case i think because i started so you know i took so much time i didn't know like oh start with 15 minutes of meditation i was like yeah i have 4 hours you know i'll meditate <laughs> <laughs> and i was in a time in my life when I was really um, frightened. So I sort of looking back at the time, I didn't know, trying in a way to leave my body. I was, I was, you know, so this gave me that kind of out. But anyway, as I was meditating, the first thing that started to happen was with eyes closed, I would see lights almost like fireworks behind my eyelids. I had no idea what was happening. And then when I opened my eyes, I would see the same fireworks in the room and I closed my eyes. At first I was like, okay, something's wrong with my eyes. So I went to the eye oh, doctor. Oh. <laughs> I thought, yeah, there was, so I found out there was actually nothing physically wrong. And that calmed me down a little bit, but it went from that to hearing sounds like a flute or 
first a waterfall, then like a flute or bells. And I was in an apartment. So I'd get up and look around and listen if it was from another apartment. And then I realized, no, this is like in my head. So at first I thought, okay, I hope there's not something else wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I, I started to go to like energy healers and, you know, did the alternative medicine route because conventional medicine, medicine had, you know, no, just wait was the, uh, the advice. And one wise person said to me, because I was saying, what are these lights? Like, what is this noise? And she said, look in the yogic texts, like the, the ones from India. And so I, I found some and the exact thing that was happening to me was written down. Like, sometimes you'll see this or this. So it just made me feel so much better. And then I realized, oh, I have to calm this energy down. And then learned sort of how to do that. Then became just so fascinated with the subject matter and why I didn't know this before. In the Mm -hmm. yoga literature, this is common. This isn't, you know, magic or supernatural. And I was like, why do I not know this? (laughs) So it began the journey. It was just fascinated with the subject. Mm. That's interesting because when you said that, I guess I should have should backpedal a minute and say that I never closed my eyes and saw fire. Okay. So that to me wasn't my way, but just two weeks ago, I had a spontaneous healing at a place where I had a a spontaneous healing 24 years ago. That was entirely a shamanic dismemberment. So we always try to compare our experiences to that. Like, so whereas you do four hours, I would set the timer when I had to sit for four minutes. And, and, and so there, there's just, for those of you listening, there's so many paths up the mountain and the view is, is pretty much the same once you arrive. Although if you're, if you're wanting the fireworks, you might want to try the threads of yoga approach and maybe not try it for four hours a day. And, and so that must have been a backpedal for you then to realize, okay, well, this is, you know, I got that pink elephant experience right off the top then becomes the the practice of the practice how how yeah. was the practice of the practice for you yeah well absolutely and even though those those kind of what i thought of as fantastical experiences i didn't necessarily want them i didn't understand them they didn't benefit me do you know i because i couldn't integrate them or anything like that i was just it it was good in that it made me curious mm-hmm. but honestly i just wanted peace i wanted to feel calm and I wanted to have my physical body in balance. Um, that was, I couldn't maybe articulate it at that time, but that's what I was really doing, you know, trying to achieve. So when I learned more, when I first, and I healed, you know, and I learned more and began like, okay, I'm gonna really have a meditation practice in my real life because I did eventually have to go back to work and mm-hmm. live my life. Um, I went to that five minutes setting the kitchen timer back then before phones um, and trying to do, I'm seeing how challenging it is and working with the mind and the thoughts. And then eventually going to a yoga class, you know, years later and doing postures and, you know, incorporating that. Um, And again, like I did have experiences over the years, but I would not say I, you know, I was in the same boat as every other beginner. And I really still consider myself a beginner because there's so much, you know, to, to so many 
interesting, exciting information, but it's this, you know, just doing these kind of natural instinctive practices that are written down. I like the yoga tradition, but I, I, I think all the, you know, shamanism for sure, any of the indigenous cultures, some of the wisdom traditions, mystical, uh, they're all kind of tapping into this underpinning of truth mm -hmm. that is this source in us, this spark that it's there. We all, it's, we're connected. It's, it's part of who we are. It's just the mind is loud and gets in the way. So we can't tap in so many ways to tap in. Basically, uh, the path of yoga is just this kind of instruction of how to quiet the mind. It's not going to get totally quiet, but when it quiets down, we get this access to this part of ourselves. And that is really the, it's, it, that's what we're, at least for me, I should say, I'm, I'm enjoying and trying to get a greater access to more than these sort of awakening experiences. Those are fun and they're, uh, they happen when they happen. And I think they're gifts, but it's really this, I just want to be as connected to this source or whatever word you use as, as much as I can be. Absolutely. And like I said, this one I had a couple of weeks ago was predated 24 years back. You know, I just happened to be in the same spot at the same time and I had poked my eye and I think I just needed proof again that magic is real. And I heard you say that early, early on in our conversation is that we forgot that the magic is real. And I think, and maybe that's why so many, even like as a, a shamanic practitioner that I had a Swami help me, you know, heal my broken heartedness. And then I've been doing these other Diksha exercises on a pretty regular basis for over a year. So it's kind of interesting that these, these paths parallel. In fact, when I was writing Winds of Spirit for 10 years, I was practicing my, um, my workshops at the, the Bhakti Fest and everyone would be like doing their on the mat yoga. And I just, I didn't know better, but I'm there like, well, this, until somebody finally told me what you teach is off the mat yoga, you, you know, because there's all of, we, people like to go a lot of people like they love to go to those yoga rooms. But what I really, I, I just opened up to a couple of, cause I, the way you've got the book is great. You've got it divided where you can, talk about a theme and, and, and then some words to reflect on and some actions and how to weave it into your practice. So one I opened up to was the squaring up. And often, often like people would, that I would see at those kind of festivals, they would go to the, the physical practices, but they stopped there. You know, they didn't take it to how to live in integrity in the rest of the world or or things like that. So so tell tell us about how you got from the white light experiences into, you know, living your life as a yoga. Yes, I'd love to. Well, the book is based on this ancient text called the Yoga Sutras written by this sage named Patanjali. It's a foundational yogic text. And in it, when I read this, by the way, it just like blew my mind. I was like, wow, once again, like, why doesn't, why didn't I learn this earlier or know this earlier? But Patanjali tells us what is yoga, why we do it, how to do it, and the ultimate stages. So he says right off the bat, yoga is the quieting of the mind. 
and and he tells us then how to quiet the mind. So yoga is the quieting of the mind. Okay. And then later on in the text, it's called the eight limbed path, his path. And the eight limbs are how we quiet the mind. One of those limbs is the postures. And of mm. course, the Western <laughs> society, we like glom onto that one. Oh, right. I can stay in shape. Um, right. And you don't have to do all the limbs. You could do one and, and become, you know, self-realized. But anyway, so that's one. So I don't want to discount that because I it's the gateway for most people. Um, two of the limbs are meditation, different meditation stages. The uh, One is breath work, pranayama. Two, the first two are the ethical tenets. They're called the yamas and the niyamas. Also kind of, also people call them the yoga 10 commandments, but they're <laughs> not really a list of do's and don'ts. They're more if you do these, you'll be more in alignment with your true nature and you'll be happier. So that's, that's as, as important as the postures. And that's where we get the first one's nonviolence, ahimsa, uh, honesty, um, non-stealing. Um, I have to get my brain online here. Okay. Um, uh, brahmacharya, moderation. I'm going to open my book now. That's okay. Those are the yamas. They're considered the observances and the niyamas. Sorry, the niyamas are, are the observances and the yamas are when, how we rein it in or the restraints. So it's ahimsa, uh, truthfulness, non-stealing. That's where you were seeing the squaring up. Brahmacharya is like moderation. And then non-greed is the fifth. So those are the five yamas. The niyamas are, the first is cleanliness or purity. The second I love, it's contentment. It's an mm -hmm. actual practice. Third is tapas or heat. means those spiritual austerities, learning from those. Um, fourth is the study of sacred texts. And the last one is the idea of surrendering to a higher power. Mm. So it's not that you have to like do all of these every day. It's more sometimes in your life, you're off balance and you're like, what's going on? And there might be a yama or niyama that you focus in on. Like, I'm really going to try to be content and actually do a practice, maybe journal, write down gratitude, or maybe it's surrendering, you know, letting go of controlling everything. Um, so you can, there, to, there, it's the limb that you can work with to help you really be in alignment and enjoy your life more because yoga teaches that straying from these yamas and niyamas will cause you to be unhappy and to be unfulfilled in those sort of things. So it's not like we're going to be punished by an outside force. It's just, we want to be in our own alignment. I like that, that there's not some, there's not some God in the sky whipping you when you get out of alignment. But when you, when, what I found in my own life, when I live in integrity, one time I, I worked the steps in AA and I made a lot of, re, I made a lot of amends for behaviors that I had done over a long time. And when I, when I get, when I make one of those yamas, is that what we mm -hmm. call them? When I get out in alignment with my yamas, I feel hungover. I feel dissatisfied. I move from my contentment to stress. So I think it does become a self-regulating system. 
where would you, um, so what got you to writing this book? What, what inspired this? Well, uh, when I started teaching uh, 15 years ago, I was always looking to bring philosophy into the class to kind of weave it in because I feel like you kind of jip your students if you just do the postures, but I found it really hard to weave it in. Like I would sound like preachy, which I thought was just horrible <laughs> or just awkward. Uh, and so I was always looking for a book that I could get like good quotes and ideas. I would still make the class my own, but I wanted, I wanted some more information, especially when life is busy and you don't have time to like, you know, read the text themselves maybe, or write down quotes and you lose your quotes. And, um, but I couldn't find the book, you know, and after a while, um, I said, maybe I should, I should write that book. And of course, as I was writing it, I was like, even if you, if you're not a teacher, this is information. A lot of students come up after class and say, can I, you know, can you recommend a book? And there are a lot of great books out there though. You know, so I'm not, it's not that this is the only one, but I wanted some place that I could get a lot of the themes, the basic philosophy in one place, and then people could sort of take it from there. Yeah. And, and I think accessible, what I'm, what I say with your book is that it's accessible, that if I'm struggling with surrender, that there's a chapter for that and I can go there. It's funny that that surrender is uh, the tenth one, when in some traditions it's the first one. So, is there an order to these, or are they just? Is there an order? Um, I don't think there's really an order. You can just focus on one and know that that's your issue in life. However, with with what you're talking about, surrendering to the higher power, I feel like that is almost like. In yoga, there's it's a lot about quieting your mind, which is a lot about quieting your ego. You know, and there's a lot of techniques to do that. We're all different, we all need different tools. But so they yoga teaches that, you know, there's use these tools like mantra, like noticing all these different breath. But when that, if at the end of the day, it's really just you can just let go, surrender your ego. Just it's sort of the escape hatch, you know? Yeah, you can do all these tools, but in the end, it might be on your deathbed at the very end, hopefully mm -hmm. not, but just let go. It's, mm -hmm. I don't know why we cling so much. We build our sense of self since we're little. We build, you know, who, this is who I am. This is who I am. When yoga says, actually, that's not who you are. It's your thoughts about your mental constructs. Let it go and see what happens. And that's so that in a way is the last, the last of the yamas and niyamas. So here's the million dollar question. Over the years, how often, how much do you live in that state of that grace that you, you know, that we all try to ascertain? Well, you know, I wrote, you, you mentioned you thought the book was accessible. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because I am not writing this as an enlightened person by any means. <laughs> I am right there, like, this is a practice for me. And I just have been doing it a long time. And since I've been totally fascinated with it, I've been studying for a lot of years. So I feel that I could write the book, but I am really, um, just like when I do the postures, I'm physically, I'm very, I'm not flexible. I'm not a flexible person. So I, I think I can, it helps me teach because I can relate to, People that, you know, I didn't do gymnastics when I was a kid. I 
don't have the ability to forward fold totally. So I think with the philosophy, with the teaching meditation, or I have a very busy mind. I have a very, I have a lot of issues. So I understand <laughs> it can be very annoying when someone says, just take a breath. Let's do a deep cleansing breath. <laughs> I can, that can be really annoying when you cannot stop the thoughts. So um, I, in the state of grace, I feel very lucky that I have these tools. They're like my lifeline, you know, hanging on sometimes for dear life. And I practice, I really see the benefit. And when I keep steady in my practice, wow, you know, it's much easier. Life is much easier, but I let that go. Sometimes I fall off and it starts, it starts the chaos, the stress, anxiety, depression, however it works for, for you in particular. And it's, it's, I'm inspired to get back steady on my practice. So it's that constant dance. I'm human. We have these minds <laughs> come back and forgive yourself. Like we're humans. We're on a human plane. I don't think we're supposed to be perfect. I really don't. I think we're human. Let's enjoy it. Um, but fortunately, we have so many traditions that we can, they're gifts, you know, from these ancient teachers. And I think we're silly not to, not to every once in a while really focus and grow and learn for our own benefit and the benefit of others and for the benefit of the world. Like the world needs our best self. So it's for it's for others as well. So how are you teaching these days? Are you do you have, do you have a studio or do you teach well, locally or workshops or Yeah, I owned a studio for for 9 years and I moved my residence a couple of years ago so I sold the studio. And then of course the pandemic happened, so I went completely online teaching. So right now I teach meditation courses online, actually through my old studio which I'm very good friends with the woman who bought it. So I teach a meditation course and it's just a three week. It's like not a lot of time. It's we, I teach a one hour and then you practice what we learned for the week, meet for another one hour, practice for a week, and then the third, the last. So it's really about learning how to have your own practice, your own home practice. Um, you have the tools. We all have to do it ourselves. So you don't need to make a big time commitment. But I do find that starting out with a with a group, getting the basic instruction really helps. And then and then you take it on your own as as you can, as you know, kind of go in your own path. And so where would people find that? It's on my website, um, Pamela Um yeah, all my classes. And I'll have that all in the in the notes and things like that. So I can't skip over the wind, okay? Oh, yes. Because you were talking about the breath. And, you know, and this is like, oh, she just doesn't understand. This is me this morning. Oh, she just doesn't understand how important this is. Where, and, and, and I don't, and I only, I joke about that because I spent five or six, seven years researching that one aspect of Holy Spirit and Ruach and Om, and they're all wind. And so how does the wind relate to your practice so when you say wind that's a beautiful word um there's so many different words like for the same thing mm -hmm. um breath is is our word and i mentioned in in my book there's um 
I don't know how many languages, but I'm going to say 12, where the word for breath and the word for spirit are the same. I'll put wind in that too. I know it's Norwegian, Chinese, Latin, Italian. It's like across the board. So ancient people understood this, this idea of the wind and the breath. The yogis thousands of years ago understood and harnessed the power of our breath. I mentioned the eight limbs. One of those limbs is breath, pranayama or wind. And I think in our culture, you know, we don't, it's not really the focus. We don't learn about it as kids or learn about how it can help us in any way because it's so obvious. It's like here all the time. It's, and it's like you don't have to pay for it. It's not like you, it's just, so we don't realize how our own breath can balance our system, can energize us, can calm us down, can do so many things. Um, but the yogis knew, you know, and that's kind of an amazing thing. And right now, science, there's so many research uh, reports every day. Um, you hear about a scientific journal about how important it is to do this particular breath, square breathing, even alternate nostril breathing, Nadi Shodhana in yoga. It's, you know, it came out, I think it was very controversial because it came out as, I think it was called cardiac breathing. And the yogis were like, no, it's, it's a yoga tradition. <laughs> and it was like, but it really truly does lower blood pressure, slow the heart rate, increase respiration, really does all that. What's but, that, the alternate nose breathing? Alternate nostril breathing, yes. And it's, um, you know, you just use, use your hand and close one nostril, inhale, exhale, uh, switching sides after the inhale. And um, it's an amazing technique for balancing the left-right brain, balancing the system, instigating the relaxation response. Um, and so, that, so it's something that we all have that we can use to affect our state of being and even get to these very deep kind of uh, transcendent states that are a little bit more, you know, if you're practicing for a while, and there's still some in some traditions in, in Buddhism and, and yoga too, some that aren't even public knowledge yet, most are now, but um, so, so the breath is, is magical. And I think um, you said before, uh, magic is real or i think you said mm -hmm. um, i felt the same way when i learn a lot of this stuff I, I i sort of say to myself a different way i say you know this is true mm. like this is true like our body our who we are the, our being has these this next level abilities that most people don't believe is true but i keep saying from my experiences and research it's true. And, or you, as you say, magic is real. Uh, it's amazing to me that this is not like, I think more people are getting interested, the mainstream slowly, but I'm still amazed it's true. And in the yoga tradition, you can just study the breath and, re and be a fully realized human being or enlightened in that word, whatever word you choose. You can just use the breath, study the breath, practice, learn about the breath and achieve these incredible states. Mm. So 
I guess I can't put enough emphasis on on this from the yogic tradition. Well, what I would say is I'm going to challenge you to take that even further. Um, I believe that the yogis got that idea of the breath from the wind, which was there at the creation, and it sparked the creation. So to me, the wind is everything. The Holy Spirit was borrowed from the wind. Ruach was borrowed from the wind. Om is the wind. It's, you know, the sound of the, the wind. And so wind was here first. And then we got, the yogis got to hear what the wind was telling them and how to and bring that into the into the sutras and into our, our, our work. And that's, that's kind of the work that I teach is how to, how to go for that direct revelation, which it sounds like as soon as you sat down to meditate, there's those chosen few who, who get it right off the bat. And it got you going on the, on the, on the way to, to write this book a long time ago. And mm-hmm. I'm going to send you my book as well. Oh, I would love it. And I, I don't, you don't have to challenge me. I don't disagree with you in terms of the wind and the nat- that natural force and just human beings that we are tapping oh, in. I didn't mean challenge, but I just. But I know what you mean. Like, like, yeah, no, it's. Like you bring in that wind on your first breath and it <sighs> exhales on your last, hopefully, like you said, that you've cleared that ego and that resistance on that last wind breath out. But that that's what connects us is is through this. And this my I have a, a friend writing a, a book on on yoga practices um, from an Ayurvedic standpoint. And every time she finds the yogis talking about the wind, because she would she'd sit in these lectures when I was teaching and teaching, and I could just see what was going over her head. Then she these yogis start to talk about the wind, and then she's there like, oh oh, is that what you meant? It's like, but I'm not as intellectual or, or to me, it was just like, oh, this is an interesting thing that way. So I'm looking forward to start doing some of these practices in your book. And I'm not going to commit to the four week program yet, but I'm going to definitely, oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to definitely try some of the exercises in here because one of the things that, that I've found in my own life is the only thing that this difference between me and a new new seeker is that I've been practicing these tools for a long, long time. And it sounds like you have too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, when we try to talk about this information, it, we have to use words because mm-hmm. that's all we have. And so like a certain word might have a connotation to someone and not another person. So it, it doesn't kind of like click. Everyone has to find their own. So it's like, these are just words kind of pointing, but I do think we're kind of pointing to the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're, it's, uh, it's just our words limit us. <laughs> right. I think waking up, whether you're seeing fire or waking up, whether you're seeing wind or not the wind that you can see is, is the same mm-hmm. and living in right relationship in all of those areas. We didn't even get time. I, we didn't get time to talk about the chakras, but she goes into the chakra system, which are really, they're really great for me. And I don't know, they're really great ways to pinpoint really what's going on in your physical self, because this is your body. This is your, this is your Cadillac that you move through the spiritual experience with. Uh, Do you want to leave us on one thought on the chakras? Yes. I think it helps. I don't think you have to necessarily know that much about like the chakra system. If you don't know about it, it's okay. But when you know a little bit, it explains a lot about like really what's going on with maybe what's how thoughts affect your body and 
And also just the idea that we are more than the physical body. We're more than the physical body. And this helps us to remember that and experience that in, a, in certain ways in the body. Well, you're a real delight. And I can tell that you're the real deal. And I'm really honored to sit here with you in your practice and your new book, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. And that's is it out yet? It just came out about a week and a half ago. So yes, it's out, bookstores, Amazon. <laughs> I knew I got the copy before it was out, so yes. I just wanted to make sure. So you can get it everywhere. And if you're a yoga teacher, you, there has some great information in there. One of the, for people like me who aren't big yoga, like posture aficionados, one of my favorite parts always was with the yoga teachers who would tell the story or would make it accessible through story or, you know, scripture or verse. So I'm very excited about what you've written here. And, and I, I'm sure that listeners at home are going to can't wait to get a copy too. Oh, well, thank you so much. I so enjoyed our conversation and an honor to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Stay connected with us during the middle of the week over at the Facebook group, The Wind Clan, and also make sure to pick up your copy of Winds of Spirit, Ancient Wisdom Tools for Navigating Relationships, Health, and the Divine at your favorite bookseller. I'm Renee, the Practical Shaman, and until next time, may the blessed winds be with you.